You ever heard somebody say you, you, you don't see the big picture? You ever heard somebody say that to you? The reason they say that is because there's a danger when you don't see the big picture. I don't know if you ever thought about this or not. When you don't have the big picture, you lose perspective. When we don't have a bigger picture of our life, we lose perspective. We begin to think it's all about us, right? And so we kind of have a a small picture and we think everything revolves around us and it's not until we realize I'm part of a bigger picture. It's not just about Dan, but I'm part of a family of five, right? Or actually six, right? I live in a town of over 12,000, right? I live in a state of over 11 million. I live in a country of, of around 376 million. I live in a globe of 7 billion. I'm part of a bigger picture and that begins to give me perspective, you say, I got to have the big picture to get perspective. I got to have the big picture to get priorities right, right? How in the world does a builder know that he's accomplishing what he set out to do unless he has a bigger picture? It's called a blueprint, right? How in the world would a coach know whether or not he's being successful unless he knows the bigger picture of, well, what does it mean to win this game? You see, a big picture helps me get perspective for my life, helps me realize what my priorities are. But here's what I know. That if I don't have, if my life isn't somehow connected to a big picture, to the bigger picture, I lose all passion and purpose for my life. You see, some of you are are here, and maybe that's you this morning. You're like, man, I've totally lost all passion. I've totally lost the purpose for my life. And so what you find yourself doing is plodding through life. You just kind of get up and you kind of do the routine. It's like Groundhog Day, day after day. And you've totally lost the purpose. You've totally lost the passion in your life. And maybe you've lost passion and purpose because somewhere along the way, you have disconnected from a bigger picture. Here's, here's what I know. When, when, when you become unhealthy and you stop moving, okay, two things, become unhealthy and you stop moving, your world gets really small. Here's how I know this. I, I have a, a friend of mine who, when they were younger and healthy, they were very connected to a bigger picture. They were involved in things in their church, in their community. They, were, they knew people all across the country who were involved in big and exciting things. They actually had friends in different places across the globe. And they were very interested in what was happening in the big picture. But through the course of time, my friend, right, my friend became unhealthy. No fault of their own. No fault of their own. They just became unhealthy. And as they became unhealthy, they stopped moving, they, they literally don't drive. Uh, they don't have anybody driving them anywhere. And so their world, all of a sudden, because they were unhealthy and they stopped moving, became very, very small. And all of a sudden, the things that they were concerned about went from being out here to these things that had global importance to being right here happening in their very own living room. And no fault of their own, but what happens is when you become unhealthy, you stop moving, your world gets small. And whereas we may expect that physically, when that happens, listen close, in a church, it's devastating. It's devastating. Because when a church becomes unhealthy, it stops moving, its world gets really, really small, and it begins to death crawl to the very end. So that's why this series, I want you to write this down, this series we're having because Jesus has a big picture vision for his church. 
Jesus has a big picture vision for his church. And so we need to look at Jesus' vision for his church. If it's his church, we need to ask the question, okay, what was his big picture vision, right? So some of you are like, man, I'm a Christ follower. I'm in. This is an important conversation for you. Some of you are Christ followers. You've lost all passion and purpose in your life. And this is an important conversation because maybe you've lost passion and purpose because you've disconnected from his big picture vision for your life. Now, listen, can we just be honest about something? Some of you, ready? Some of you are here and you're like, I'm not really a church person. I'm not a Christ follower. I'm just checking this out. I came because somebody invited me. In fact, there are some of you that are sitting here and I want to just recognize this. In fact, your whole view and thought of church is negative because you got a bad taste in your mouth. You had a bad experience And so you might be asking yourself, well, is this conversation going to be for me? And here's what I would say. This conversation is especially for you. Because the chances are you had a bad experience, were hurt in church, got discouraged, disgruntled. Because the church or the people that you were involved in lost sight of Jesus' big picture vision and began to focus on things that weren't that important. And it somehow left a bad taste in your mouth. And so I want to invite you to be a part of this conversation because Jesus had a different picture for his church. The other reason we need to have this conversation is this. I don't want to, as a group of people, become unhealthy and stop moving and all of a sudden allow our worlds to get so small that we crawl to our death. That's not what I want to do. And so we need to lean in and say, okay, what in the world is Jesus' big picture vision for his church? And that's what you find in Acts chapter 1. In fact, if you're there, just read with me because it's fascinating what he says. He says, verse 4, on one occasion while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him, asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Look here a second. They're just saying, hey, God, what's the time? Jesus, what's the timeline here? Like, like, like are you going to bring to fulfillment the promises God made us? It's just a good question, right? It's like, what's the timeline? Because we kind of want to know where we fit in the timeline. Hang on to that thought for a second. Verse 7 He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Can we just talk frank about something? Can we just talk really, really frank? There are a lot of churches today. Some of you have experienced them. Some of you have been in them. Maybe even some of you are caught up in this, but there are a lot of churches that stop moving, become unhealthy, and disconnect from the bigger picture because, listen, listen close, they become more concerned about where we're at in God's timeline than they are concerned about how we're part of his big picture. Yeah. It's, it, listen, I know, maybe for some of you that's like, ouch. Because what happens is we become consumed with reading books about the end times and trying to figure out, does that mean this? And does I fit? And what's going on here? And where are we at in the timeline? And Jesus says something here you can't miss. He's like, hey, listen, you know, my, the father's got that handled, but there's this big picture. While you're here, I got a big picture vision for the church. This is what I want you to be consumed with. You tracking with me? And so Jesus is like, this is where I want you to focus your attention. Well, what is that big picture vision? Verse 8. He said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. Verse 9. 
after he said this, he's taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now that must have been quite an experience, but Jesus wanted to make sure before he left them, they knew what his big picture vision was for his church. And there's two things here that I want us to get and then we'll race on. First is this, Jesus says this to them, I want my story, this thing called the gospel, to influence people here, I want it to get to people there and I eventually want it to impact people everywhere. That is Jesus' big picture vision for his church. He says, my church, the people who are my followers, I want them to to focus on, be consumed with influencing people right here where they're at with the story of Jesus, this thing called the gospel. I want them to be deliberate about getting it there And I want them to make sure this thing gets everywhere. So what he said to these guys, remember, these are 11 dudes he's talking to, right? He says, I want it to influence people in Jerusalem, right here where we're at. But he said, I don't want it to just stay here. I want you to make sure it gets there. For them, that was Judea and Samaria. He's like, I want to make sure this thing goes regional, right? I want you to make sure it impacts Judea and I even want you to make sure it impacts people you won't associate with, Samaritans. But then he says to these 11 ordinary guys, he says, I want you to be a part of making this thing global. Guys, read your Bible in color, not black and white. Can we just say something right out of the gate? Jesus is talking to 11 ordinary guys. These are 11 very ordinary guys, just like you and me. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I'm leaving. I want y'all to make sure the story of Jesus, the gospel impacts the people around you. I want you to make sure you get it to the people in regions beyond you. And hey guys, while you're at it, let's make sure this thing impacts the entire globe. Look here, did I say, I'm not sure if I said this, these were 11 ordinary guys, did I say that? In fact, will you say that out loud with me? 11 ordinary guys, you know what they did? They heard Jesus and they dared, listen to me, they dared to reorder their lives after the vision he just laid out. They dared to reorder, their entire life was reordered by his big picture vision They didn't just sit back and say, that's a good idea. I hope that goes well. Their entire lives were reordered by it such that when you read the book of Acts, the book of Acts, the the outline to the book of Acts is simply this. In chapters two through seven, you see the gospel influencing Jerusalem right here. Chapters eight through 12, you see these guys getting the gospel to Judea and Samaria. It gets there. They are very deliberate about making sure the gospel gets there. Chapters 13 to the end of the book of Acts, you see them being very deliberate, sending out missionaries to make sure the gospel makes a difference everywhere. And when Jesus was talking to these 11 very ordinary guys... He was talking to them, listen, in the first century in modern day Israel. And because they decided to reorder their lives around what he told them his big picture vision was, there's a group of people in the 21st century 
in modern day Norton who've been impacted. Anybody in the room glad for 11 ordinary guys who allowed that good news to, yeah. See, they were ordinary guys just like you and me. And here's the deal. When Jesus gave them this big picture vision, I don't know if you've thought of, I think about stuff like this. When he gave them this big picture vision, you and I fit into the category of everywhere. Did you know that? First century in, in Israel, he's like, hey, I want it to influence here. For them, that was Jerusalem. Raise your hand if you live in Jerusalem. If you do, I'd love to talk to you, but <laughs> anybody live in Judea, Samaria? Nope, we pretty much are the very ends of the earth, okay? That's where we're at. And yet, because they reordered their life, that good news, the story of Jesus made its way here. It's impacted you, but it doesn't just impact you. For those of you who've said yes to Jesus, it defines his big picture vision for your life. In other words, Jesus stands here 21st century and he says, I still want that story to influence here in Norton, in Barberton, in Doylestown, in Copley. I want y'all to get it there. Where's there? Well, Medina and Ellet. And if you come to one of the receptions, Sterling and beyond and beyond and beyond. And I want y'all to, to be involved in making sure this impacts everywhere. Like everywhere where? Like the Cameroon where Doug and Jackie are. Like Virginia Beach where Mike and Steve are. A group of young adults are gonna go there in the summer. Uh, like Atlanta where Peter and Carlos and David are. Like I want y'all to be involved in this big picture vision. In fact, if you look back at verse eight, he says something interesting. You ought to circle this in your Bibles. Verse eight, every time the word you shows up, circle it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem here, in Judea and Samaria there, and to the ends of the earth, ends of the earth everywhere. What's he saying? He's saying, simply put, y'all are my method. He said, you are my method for getting this thing called the gospel, my story here, there, and everywhere. How in the world is that gonna happen? In fact, Jesus says something very fascinating. We talked about this in the last series. It's actually startling. I think too many times we read the Bible in black and white. We ought to read it in color. And when Jesus said this to them, I think it would have been like, huh? John chapter 14, verse 12, we'll throw it on the screen. Listen to this. He's talking to some very ordinary men. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. That sounds good, right? Yeah, I wanna be about the things Jesus is about. Look what he says next. And they will do even greater things than these. Huh? Greater things than like, than Jesus was doing? And, and then it begs the question like, really? And then you're like, how's come? And then his answer is this, look what it says, uh, because I'm going to the Father. And, 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 and when you get to Acts 1, that's what's happening. He's like, I'm getting ready to leave. And so that greater things than these, that's getting ready to take place. What does he mean? Well, simply put, let me teach you some theology or some, some of the study of God. There's something important you need to know. Jesus, when he walked the earth, okay? Jesus, when he walked the earth, that was God with us. That was God with skin on. 
Jesus is God incarnate. Some of you have sing songs like that, heard that. He is God wrapped in flesh. He's God with skin on. And so while he's here, God with us, Emmanuel, all that kind of stuff. But he was here and did public ministry. This is crazy. For about three years. Three years. And then he says, I'm taking off. And when I take off, y'all going to do greater things than these. How's come? Because I'm going. And when I go, he said, when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Who's the Holy Spirit? Here's the deal. If Jesus is God with us, wrapped in skin, here's the deal. Holy Spirit, when you read the Bible, is God in us. And here's what he's saying. For everybody who said yes to Jesus, the Spirit of God lives inside. And so this movement that I've been about is going to spread all over the world. Y'all are going to do greater things than these. Fascinating, isn't it? And so that's why he says that when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will have power. Here's the deal. These 11 ordinary guys, did I say that? I want you to hear it. 11 ordinary guys reordered their life around that vision. Spirit of God takes over. And you know what happens? Here's what happens. Chapter 17, verse 6. Here's how they're described. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Guys, can I tell you something? These were 11 very normal, ordinary men who heard Jesus' big picture vision. Don't put them on a pedestal. They don't belong. They are men and women just like you and I. And here's what happens. By the time you get to chapter 17, verse 6, they reordered their life around Jesus' big picture vision, spirit of God inside of them. Boom. All of a sudden, it goes here, there, and everywhere. And here's how they're described. The world is turned upside down with this message of Jesus. I'm going to tell you something, man. That's something supernatural. That's something that sounds like, man, I would love to connect my life to something like that. So how in the world did 11 ordinary men take this big picture vision and ignite a movement such that it reached a continent away, generations removed? How did that happen? I think when you read the book of Acts, there's four things. This morning, I just want to talk about one. This morning, I just want to talk about one and then we're done. I think the very first thing that you see is this, and I want you to write it down and we'll make sense of it. Jesus' big picture vision will ignite big picture praying. Jesus' big picture vision will ignite big picture praying. Here's the deal, okay? Here's the deal. When you read the book of Acts, I hope you will, okay? These people pray different than we do. Many times. These people prayed different. There's something different about, they prayed continually, collectively. There was a substance to their praying. There was an urgency to their praying. They prayed on one occasion, the place shook. They prayed and the world was turned upside down. They prayed in a big picture kind of way. Can we just be honest and no raise of hands, but many of us feel very anemic in our prayer life. For many of us, we would describe our prayer lives like, yeah, it's kind of boring and predictable. It feels like a grocery list, right? I mean, we, 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 we don't have a power, a pizzazz. It's like, yeah, there's just something missing. I, wonder, I wonder, wonder if the reason might be 
that we're used to praying little picture prayers. I mean, it makes sense. We're taught how to pray and we're taught how to pray in a routine kind of way, right? You ever thought about this? That's how some of us have been taught how to pray. You pray certain prayers at certain times of the day. So when you're a kid, it's time to go to bed. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Do you know the next part? And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Listen to me. You wonder why your kid's showing up in your room scared to death. You're praying that prayer, right? Stop it, right? Stop it. But you kind of just pray it. You don't even think about what you're saying. Like I can remember, I can remember people saying that. And I didn't even think about what they were saying. It's like, this is what you say, right? Or, or when it's time to eat, God is great. God is good. Let's thank you for this food, right? And we just kind of go on. Or, or at certain times we pray, help, <laughs> right? Get me out of this mess, right? I mean, we learn to pray certain prayers at certain times when certain things happen. And yet here's what I know. When you read the book of Acts, when we connect to his big picture vision, it changes the way we pray. You're saying, Dan, how? I'm glad you asked. Look back at Acts 1. Jesus gives them this huge beyond them vision and look at verse 12. Then the apostles, after they got this huge beyond them vision, returned to Jerusalem, which was their here, from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying and they all joined together constantly in planning how they were gonna pull this off. It's not what it says, is it? I'm fascinated by something here, guys. They all joined constantly together in what? Say it out loud. Prayer. Not only that, Acts 1, when they needed to replace Judas, verse 24, look what it says. Then they, what? Prayed. And they're like, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us. Which of these? Acts 2, when it describes the church after the Holy Spirit comes. Verse 42, these people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And they devoted themselves to, what's it say? Prayer. And then in Acts 4, when all of a sudden they hit some turbulence. We're going to get there in a minute. All of a sudden they hit some opposition. All of a sudden life's not going how they would have written it. All of a sudden, people are telling them, if you keep preaching this stuff, we're going to throw you in jail. And they threaten them. All of a sudden, how do they respond to opposition? How do they respond when things aren't going their way? Verse 24, chapter 4, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. All through the book of Acts, these people are praying. There's big decisions to make. They're praying. Uh, Peter is, is literally let in on God's big picture vision on the rooftop while he's praying. Peter's let out of jail and he goes to find what are the, what's the church doing? They're praying. All through the book of Acts, these guys are praying. What's the point? What does big picture praying look like when it ignites? I want you to write it this way. Here's what it looks like. It becomes our first impulse instead of our last resort. When big picture praying ignites, it becomes the first impulse. Jesus gave them a big project, they prayed. They had to make a big decision, they prayed. They met opposition, they didn't pout, they didn't picket, they didn't protest, you know what they did? They prayed. Listen, here, here's the point. Prayer wasn't what they did when all else failed. Prayer wasn't what they did. Well, nothing else seems to be working. I think we'll pray. 
Guys, isn't that sometimes how we can pray? I've tried everything else, I might as well pray. Prayer was their first impulse. Prayer was what they did before they planned, before they chose, before they went forward with his big picture vision. Prayer was the first impulse they had, not the last resort. I was sharing with the other two, and I'll share it with you. Some of you know, know this, that before my family, and I've been here about nine years-ish, before we were here, um, for 14 years, we were part of a church in Indiana that we helped start. So we, we planted a church, which you start kind of from scratch. So if you can imagine, I'm in my 20s, um, and we're in a double-wide trailer. Okay, that's what we met in, and there's 15 of us. That's how we started, Okay. And so I didn't really know what in the world I was doing. I was working four different jobs at the time. I'm just trying to do my best to try, how do we get this thing going, right? And I remember the moment that I called a friend of mine in Pennsylvania who was older than me, a lot older than me, and I remember I needed some help. I needed for him to help me know what I should be doing. And so I said to him, I called him on the phone, and I said, hey, listen, I want you to help me. I want you to tell me the very first five things that you would do if you were me in my situation. He said, get a paper and pen ready. I said, I'm ready. He said, number one, he said, pray. I'll never forget. I'm like, oh, gee, okay. I thought he's going to say that. I'm just being honest, right? Don't judge me. I'm just being honest. I'm like, I wrote it down. He said, all right, man. And I'm like, yes, now kind of give me something practical. Like give me, and I remember he said, okay, write number two. I wrote number two, he said, I would pray. I'm like, are you serious? Can't you give me something that's gonna help me? I, I remember I wrote down number two and, and he said, okay, Dan, write number three. And I said, if he says prayer, I'm gonna reach across this phone and grab him. <laughs> I'm just gonna tell you what that old boy, he said, I would write prayer down. And he went four, pray. And he went five, pray. I'm just being honest with you. None of you would struggle with this, I'm sure. I hung the phone up. I was so angry. I remember thinking, can't you give me something practical to do? I, I need help. I'm sinking here. Like, like pray, 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 pray. Uh, what, can't you tell me something to do? And I remember the very first reaction I had. I was angry until God, listen to me, God literally had to break this old boy's heart. He's like, Dan, don't you get it? You want to do what you can do and you're leaving me out of the equation? Like, like you want to plan, you want to program, you're leaving me out of the equation? And I remember when I stood in front of those 15 people and they're like, all right, Pastor Dan, what are we going to do? I pulled my notes out. Hey, guys, we're going to pray. All right. We figured you said, what are we going to do next? I'm like, hold on. We're going to pray. Guys, I, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not a guy that's mystical and I don't want to super serpy spiritualize this. We prayed. We prayed. We picked a particular time when we just began praying, praying for people in our life that didn't know Jesus, praying that God would show up. It became our first impulse was to pray. It's not like we sat back and said, okay, God, you do the work. We said, we're going to pray as we move. But I'm going to tell you something. And I don't know how else to say this. God did things that I couldn't plan, couldn't orchestrate, blew my mind. I was young, I was dumb, wet behind the ears, and God did something way beyond any of us. Can I ask you a question? Parents, some of y'all, your kids are, my kids are, are gone after this year. I'm on the other end of this. 
What if your first impulse was to pray? No, in big picture vision kind of ways. What if your first impulse, not your last, I don't know what I'm going to do with these teenagers. What if your first impulse was to pray? Some of y'all got little ones. What if you prayed in big picture kind of ways for them? What about some of y'all's marriages? What if your first impulse was to pray? Grace groups, grace groups. Some of y'all are in grace groups. What if, grace group leaders, what if your first impulse was to pray? You see, sometimes it's not till we get way, way down the road that we invite God into the situation. Their first impulse was to pray. But if you look at Acts 1.14, it wasn't just their first impulse. Look what it says. They all joined together constantly in prayer. What's the point here? I want you to write it this way. Prayer, when it ignites, becomes a community experience as well as a private habit. I, I, this is fascinating to me. They prayed together. Guys, th- this is unusual. Can we just say this is unusual? For most of us in this room, prayer is a private habit. And it needs to begin that way. So, so we pray by ourselves. But when I read about these guys, all of a sudden, they're praying with others. And there's something that happens when people pray together. There's this unusual unity. There's this power that all of a sudden explodes on the scene. It was their first impulse. It was a community experience. It wasn't just a private habit. And then when you get to Acts 4, there's something that will rattle your prayer life. You ready? There's something in chapter 4 that will rattle your prayer life because in chapter 4, they meet opposition. In chapter 4, they have people that literally put the leaders of this movement in jail and said, stop it. They threaten them. And then they let them go and these people go back to the church in verse 24, you got to read it with me. This is what it says. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. And this is what they said. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens, you made the earth, the sea and everything in them. And then you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, David. Why do the nations rage? The people plot in vain. The kings of the earth rise up. The rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Then verse 27, he says, Herod, Pontius Pilate, met together with the Gentiles, the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus. Remember, this is after they killed Jesus, whom you anointed. Verse 28, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Verse 29, now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What happens when big picture praying ignites? I want you to write it this way. It's a big, long sentence but I want you to write it and you ought to let it percolate this afternoon. When big picture praying ignites, we will ask God to help us play our part in his big picture project instead of insisting he play his part in our big picture project. Uh Uh-oh. You see, here's the deal, guys. We're just being honest. You write it down, leave it up there for a while. Here's the deal. This is where a lot of us get stuck in our praying. A lot of times, here's the way we approach prayer. I do. I'm sure I'm not alone. I do. You do. But we develop in our mind a big picture vision for our life. And then we see prayer as a way to coerce God to play his role the way we determined he should play it. So that our vision for our life comes true. And you know what happens? Okay, I'm just being honest. We get really, really frustrated when he doesn't play the role that we determined he should play. When all of a sudden our big picture vision, he doesn't show up the the, the way we think he should. Guys, this is fascinating in the story. 
These guys are, are they're, they're, they're literally doing what, what Jesus told them to do. And you know what happens? Everything goes haywire. They're being threatened and thrown in jail. The story didn't go how they would have written it. And I'm fascinated by the fact that when they prayed, they didn't say, God, kill them, you know? God, we need revenge. There was none of that. There was no Eeyore praying. They, they didn't say, oh God, we've tried. Look what's happening. Oh my. There was none of that. I'm really good at that Eeyore, right? That's what you're thinking, right? I practiced, right? They didn't pray that way. You know how they prayed? Verse 29, look what it says. Verse 29, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. You know how they prayed? They prayed this way. God, ready? Would you make us better and bolder? to play the role you have for us to play in your big picture vision. But things aren't going the way we want them to go. And yet they prayed, God, we want you to make us better, make us bolder. Guys, look here a second. What if we, my biggest fear is this. Some of you have been going to church so long that when you hear a sermon on prayer, you check out. Will you check in for right now? What if we began praying this way? In fact, I love y'all, and I'm going to quit preaching to y'all. Can I do that for a second? And can I just preach to myself and let you listen? Can I just do that? Because I wrote down some questions for Dan. And you guys just listen in. I'm going to quit preaching to y'all. I'm just going to preach to me for a second. Because I wrote down some questions. Dan, what if you began to pray differently? Dan, you spend a lot of time asking God to change your circumstances. What if you started asking him to change your soul? Dan, what if spending all your time informing God of your little picture project and asking and insisting that he play his part and becoming frustrated when he doesn't, what if you started asking him to show you what his big picture vision is and you ask him to transform you and help you be better and bolder as you play your part in his big picture vision. Dan, what if you ask God for enablement more than you ask him for escape? What if you ask him to give you the power, not just always asking him to protect? Look here a second. I'm going to say something. Not all of you are going to, it's going to sit funny with some of you. Number one thing we pray about in our country, followers of Christ, please what? Protect me. Protect me and my kids. I'm not saying anything wrong with that. Okay, I get it. I'm just interested these guys didn't ask for that. You know what they asked for? Power to play the role God had for them in his big picture vision. That's a different way to pray. That's a different way to pray. I wrote down, Dan, what if instead of always asking for material blessings, you began to ask for spiritual boldness? Wow. It's a different way to pray. How could they pray that way? Well, if you look at verse 24, I... I I don't want to miss this. I think the way they, the, the reason they could pray this way is look what they said. They, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Look what it says. And they said, sovereign Lord. If you underline that in your Bibles, here's what the, the original word is despotos. You can forget that. Here's what it means. 
You're the absolute ruler, owner of all. You see what I don't see. You know what I don't know. You're in control, even though the story isn't going the way I thought. I want to tell you it this way. Big picture praying. If I want to begin praying this way for my kids, for the church, for a community, big picture praying always starts by getting God in his right place. I really believe that one of the reasons that prayer is anemic is that we have God in the wrong spot. God is not our heavenly homeboy. He's not our Facebook friend. He's not our divine dude. Like, like, like we like talking slang about God. It's like, and, and, and so then we look at God like, yeah, we just like hanging with God. Can I just tell you something? Like, like I, God is not our heavenly homeboy. He's our father with all the tenderness and love that that picture brings to the table. He's our daddy. But our daddy is the creator, the king, the ultimate ruler who knows the beginning to the end and nothing is too hard for him. That's who we're talking to. And I think when big picture praying ignites in our homes, in our marriages, for our kids, for the church, in our community, in the schools, Wherever it's at, what happens is this. We'll begin to awaken to who it is we're really talking to. That when we're praying, we're not simply rubbing a lucky rabbit's foot, hoping it all works out. But we're talking to the eternal creator. It is his story. He's all powerful. He's the ever-present God. He is holy, holy, holy. And I am very fascinated by what they ask in verse 30. They said this, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What are they asking God to do? This, is, this is, was challenging to me. They're saying, God, would you do what we can't? God, would you stretch out your hand and do something that when it's all said and done, it's going to be so obvious you're the one that was working in and through us, we couldn't pull it off. You know, that makes me think, it makes me wonder, what if we began praying in a big picture kind of way, where it was our first impulse? We awakened to who it is we were talking to. We said, make us better and bolder. And, and what if we actually ask God to stretch out his hand and do what only he can do? in our community, in our homes, in our church. What if we ask him to, to stretch out his hand and, and literally, literally open the door for the gospel to reach young adults who right now have absolutely no interest maybe in ever hearing about the story of God? What if we ask him to stretch out his hand and resurrect families and heal marriages? What if we ask him to stretch out his hand so that he would use us to bring hope where hope is hard to find and help people who are literally drowning right now? What if we ask him for the things that when it's all said and done, if they happen, it would be so obvious it weren't us. God showed up. I don't know. That's what I want to connect my life to. I want to tell you guys something. I've never been more serious than I am right now. I don't want to, nor do I have time to play church. 
I don't want to, nor do I have time to play church. His vision was big. It was aggressive. It was, I want you to take this thing here, there, and everywhere. Which is interesting because in verse 31 it says, after they prayed. The place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. What's the point? Big picture praying simply leads to big picture participating. It's not like they prayed and sat back and said, all right, God, go after him because he said, you are my method. (laughs) And so they asked God to show up and then they said, we're going to reorder our life around your big picture vision. He has a big picture vision for his church. Can I ask you a couple questions? And I would ask you to do me a favor for about two or three minutes. I'm asking you not to put your stuff away. Because I know from my vantage point, when you start doing that, I lose you. All right? So would you do me that favor? Because I want to ask you a couple questions. First question I'm going to ask you is this. Have you personally connected to God's big picture vision for your life? Can I even go out on a limb and, and just, can I talk to you men in the room for a minute? I, there's a lot of disgruntled men, disappointed men. You know why? We go through this thing called midlife crisis. You know why? Because we can't figure out how we're connected with something bigger. We were made to be warriors who look for adventure and we, we go through life and disappointment hits us. And yet here's the deal. God has a big picture vision for your life. And maybe you've never connected. You're like, how do I connect to it? Here's what I want you to know. It's sin in our life that disconnects us from God's big picture vision. It disconnects us for his big picture purpose for our life. And so Jesus came and died. Why? So that by saying yes to Jesus, we might have not only forgiveness of sin, but be connected to God's big picture vision for our life. Have you ever connected to his big picture vision for your life? That's the gospel. I will tell you this. You don't even have to agree with me, but I, I hope it agitates this afternoon. Your life, your life, men and women, will never make sense. You'll never experience the fulfillment and the meaning you were created to experience apart from being connected to his big picture vision for your life. He's the one who created you. There are some of you in in the room, and and I need to say this, and I've said it both services before, and I want to say it now. You're sitting here, and you're like, yeah, Dan, you don't know my experience. I have a very bad taste in my mouth about church. And the reason you do is because they were irritating people who got mad about a lot of different things, and they argued and complained and got focused on decor and music and whatever and whatnot. I, I want to say two things to you. As a pastor... And I realize I wasn't the one in that church, but as a pastor representing that group of people, I want to say I am so, so, so sorry. That breaks my heart. Because your bad experience came because somewhere along the way somebody got disconnected from God's big picture vision. And I'm sorry. But I would ask you to do me a favor for the next couple of weeks. Would you at least give it a shot to say, okay, if that's not what it was about, because I don't want a part of that, would you at least give it the next couple of weeks and say, well, what did Jesus have in mind? What's this thing supposed to be about? 
And for those of you in the room that would say, I am a follower of Christ, I am somebody who have, have said yes to Jesus, I have two questions and then I'm done. Who are the people in your here right now? God's put them right in your life right now and they don't know Jesus. Who are the one, the two, the three people right now in your life? Here's what I want you to do. I told you not to put your stuff away. I want you to grab your pen and I want you to write their first name at the bottom of your outline. I want you to just write three people. God has put them in your here because Jesus is standing here in front of us today, so to speak, and he's saying, I want my story to influence here. And here's my challenge to you. Would you, would you begin praying for those three people that God would do something in their life you couldn't orchestrate, but that he would use you to be better and bolder to play the role he wants you to play so that the story of Jesus might influence them. They're in your life for a reason. And when you stop moving and become unhealthy, all of a sudden you stop seeing the people that he's put around you on purpose and how that connects to his big picture vision. I really hope you'll come to one of these receptions because one of the things I'm encouraging and asking, I'm asking that we as a church, that there would be 500 people who for the next three years would commit to pray that way. In fact, you can take your connection card and say, sign me up right now. If you're one of those people, that's great. But 500 people who would say, I wanna pray in a big picture kind of way. This morning, we're not going to sing a song to end. We're going to pray. But we're going to do something they did in the book of Acts. Okay? In the book of Acts chapter 13, they were going to send off Paul and Barnabas. They wanted them to go take the gospel everywhere. And so what they did as a church was they prayed over them. And so we have a team of people that's getting ready to go to Atlanta to help one of our campuses there. And I want you to welcome them out here. Why don't you guys come on out? Give them a big hand this morning as they come out. They just keep coming and coming. They've done this three services. I love it. We'll ask uh, steering team and pastors that are in the room to kind of come, come on up. Because here's the deal. In book of Acts chapter 13, they prayed over the team of people that went out. And so we have the opportunity to send this team of people out. They represent us. Okay? They just happen to be able to go on this trip. And they're going to go encourage people who are part of Grace Church in Atlanta they're going to encourage a campus that has somewhere around 40 people meeting right now. They, at different times, have had the chance to reach upwards to 10 different nationalities. They're reaching college students, and their desire is to continue to take the gospel here, there, and everywhere. And so our prayer for them is that they be an encouragement to them, that they serve them and help with that, that gospel-centered movement as it's taking place in Atlanta. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do, and we're going to pray, and we're going to be done. I'm going to ask if you feel comfortable, only if you feel comfortable. If you don't, don't do it, okay? But if you feel comfortable and you're somebody that's like, I feel comfortable with this, I'm asking you as a church family, if you just put your hand out like this as though we were symbolically saying we're behind you, I'm asking if you'd do that. And so we're going to pray, Father, this team, we symbolically want to just place our hands on them and say thanks that they're willing to go, thanks that they're going to go. God, I'm praying that you prepare them to go. But God, we're going to pray the way the early church did, that you would stretch out your hand and do what only you can do and that you would help them to be better and bolder to play the role you want them to play. 
I pray as a result, they would encourage those who are living there, that, that they would help those that are living there, and God, that you would use them in ways that are beyond what they even are imagining right now. And then I pray that you would give them a contagious spirit as they come back here, so that as we hear what you're doing in and through them, that, Father, that would be something that would just permeate here. God, we want to be connected to your big picture vision. It's bigger than us. And so, Father, we're praying that here at Norton, you would stretch out your hand and do what only you can do, that you would resurrect families, that you would heal marriages, that you would help us to run into the messiness of addiction and where hope is hard to find in a way that would bring the hope of the gospel, that you would help us to launch a campus where people need to hear and know about Jesus. God, we're praying that you would do that in us, make us better and make us bolder for the sake of the gospel. And then we look forward to what you're going to do to turn the lights really bright on Jesus and the good news of Jesus. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.